message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Hey, um, I wanted to talk to you this morning as we're going through this book of Matthew. There's something profound that happens in the passage today in Matthew chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, you can open it, but something super amazing is going on, and it has to do with interruptions. Um, In fact, we're going to look at a passage today where Jesus was interrupted like five times in a row, all in one story. And it's very intentional that it's written that way, that we get to see how to deal with interruption. And I don't know how you deal with interruption, but interruption can be tough sometimes. Can I get an amen to that? I don't think anybody enjoys interruption. Interruption is not fun. It happens a lot of ways. You're on your way to work. In LA, it's a tough deal already. That's like half the day is the commute, right? And you're on your way, and then somebody cuts you off and jumps in. That's an interruption, isn't it? People, some people handle that a little differently than others. People jump in the lane and cut you off. That's an interruption in your drive. Maybe you're having a conversation with somebody and somebody barges right in and starts talking to them. Has that ever happened to you? Has that ever happened? Okay, that's an interruption. Or maybe you're working on a project and you need to get it done and you have a deadline and then something else comes up completely off the agenda that you had no idea about and that is an interruption. Uh, You know, this time of the year, we're looking at Christmas, one of the biggest interruptions in history is a little young girl, a virgin, who's engaged to be married, and an angel comes with a holy interruption, a holy interruption, and says, Mary, I know this is way outside your box, beyond anything you can imagine, but I want to interrupt you with an important message. It's a message from God, and it's for you. And it's a game changer. It's a life changer. It's going to change your life, change your future. It's going to change the world as you know it. Interruptions come in many ways and sizes and shapes and forms, and a lot of times they're not invited. We didn't expect them, but the way we respond to them is monumentally important. Um, I would encourage you that God has some profound things that come out of, out of interruptions. Um, a number of years ago, Christy and I, as many of you guys know, we have five children, five amazing children, and uh, we were at the point where, uh, for those of you who are parents, you know raising kids takes time, it takes love, it takes TLC, it takes patience, and then some more, and then some more, and then some more. Uh, we were at the point, we had uh, three children, things were going really you know, good and very busy, and then we had our fourth child. And our fourth child is amazing. His name is Micah. Many of you guys know Micah. Um, But we started to realize Micah was born full, height, weight, everything normal. And then he got the swine flu when he was about seven, eight months old. And it changed everything. He stopped growing. He started to stiffen up. Um, He just never really recovered. And so we were at the phase with three children plus Micah where we have this new realm to deal with. And it's an interruption to life as you know it, pastoring a church, raising kids, homeschooling the other ones, and trying to do all the things we're trying to do, and we realize, wow, we have to step into this new realm we know little about. So we're getting doctor appointments and MRIs and spinal taps and genetic, that we're doing everything, and we're praying over him, and we're taking him places, and we're laying hands on him, and we're doing everything we possibly can. And Micah is taking a lot of time and a lot of effort in our life, and we love him, and we'll do everything we can. And one day, Christy tells me, 
I have something to tell you. I go, what's that? He says, I'm pregnant. And I'm like, no way. No way. I mean, we got three in one, no way. And she goes, no, I really am. And I go, show me the test. And she, she shows me the test. And sure enough, it's got that little line thing. Have you seen it before? You're like, oh, no. So I said, take another one. So <laughs> she takes another one. It's the same thing. I said, take another one. And she takes a third test, and it's the same thing. And I said, where'd you get those tests from? And she said, well, I got them at the Dollar Tree. I'm like, well, that explains it. They're probably no good. I'm going to go down and get you a hot rod Cadillac, like the ultimate test. I went and got this $40 one that has bells and whistles and chimes and everything. I bring it home. She brings it out, and it's flashing, pregnant, pregnant, pregnant. And at that time, we had a profound interruption in our life with three children, and now number four, Micah, who's taking a lot of work, and we're trying to homeschool and pastor a church and trying to do the thing, and now we, we got a baby coming, and this is a game changer for us in this season of life. Can I just tell you something? That was an interruption, and I want to encourage you, God did more beautiful things out of that interruption than we could ever, ever imagine. Our fifth child, Macy, is a gift from God. She is the best little helper for Micah. She is an answer to prayer beyond anything we ever could have imagined. He helps her. She understands him. He, she encourages him. They play together. And I just got to tell you, it's like music to our ears when we see them playing in a game. And I'm saying thank you, Jesus, for taking an interruption and turning it into a miracle. Can I get an amen? I, I want to suggest to you, amen, I want to suggest to you the interruptions that come in your life, some of them bother you. You know they do. Interruptions bother you because you're trying to get your stuff done and you're trying to be about your business and you're trying, but I want to encourage you that some of these things, instead of bothering you, they can be profound opportunities, profound opportunities. We don't see them at face value. We often don't even recognize them, but, but if you walk in the spirit with your interruptions, you might find profound opportunity right in the middle of it, and I would say a good example in the Bible is the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, we have a couple of religious guys walking down the street, a priest and a Levite, and these guys are, they, they know the Bible, they can quote it. They can quote it better than any of us can. These guys came up since a young grade quoting scripture. So they study the word, they quote the word, and they were on their way to do religious service. And they're walking down the street, and there's an interruption. There's a guy in the street, and he's a wreck, he's beaten, he's robbed, and they're like, ooh. Well, if I touch him, I'm going to get his stuff on me, and I, I, just gotta, I gotta be somewhere right now. I, ain't nobody got time for that. And so they start walking around him, and they go to the other side of the street, and they go where they need to go, and they walk around him. And the Samaritan comes along. In the story, the Samaritan was considered a third-class citizen, not a very faithful person. And yet he comes, and he sees this guy, and he says, oh, no. I can't walk by this. God, if there's an interruption in front of me, I have to trust that God must allow it for some reason. Even if he didn't author the interruption, he clearly allowed it. What am I going to do with this? How many of you know that whatever the enemy meant for harm, God will turn around for the good? Okay, this is important because God doesn't author every interruption. Some interruptions are from the devil. Have you ever had one of those? All right, anybody ever had an interruption that came? Okay, so, so God doesn't author every interruption, but God allows these interruptions. So all of a sudden, he's walking on the street, and this guy is bleeding out in the street, and he looks on him with compassion, and he puts him on his own donkey, and he brings him to a, 
to an inn where he can be taken care of, and he puts out the money, says, take care of this guy. I'm going to come back around, and you let me know if I owe you any extra. And that guy's life changed. Everyone's life changed in this story. We're talking, why? Because an interruption can be interpreted two different ways. I don't have time for this and walk around it, or you can actually step into the interruption. You can walk around the interruption. You can try to ignore the interruption. You can wish it wasn't there. You can get mad at the interruption. You can be angry that you have an interruption, or you can say, God, you're sovereign. You see it too. I'm going to walk right through the middle of this interruption. And we say that because Jesus today in this passage in in Matthew chapter 9 has five interruptions in a row, and it's very intentional the way it's written that there's an interruption in the middle of doing something, somebody comes in and steps in. And while that's going on, somebody else charges in. And while that's going on, a whole nother thing, we can't ignore the way it's written. It's interruption after interruption. You're like, wow, how does Jesus handle uh, these interruptions? And so uh, if you have your Bible, if you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 9, we're looking at 18 through 34, and uh, we're going to look at how this breaks out. But again, my prayer is that you will look at interruption differently instead of being um, instead of being irritated you might be inspired by the interruptions that come your way you might find inspiration instead of irritation Uh, Jesus just got in fact he's in the middle if you read the context of this passage we've been teaching through uh, the book of Matthew line by line verse by verse we're going through the scripture and as we get to this point Jesus just taught about being flexible He talked about being flexible. He said, God is always pouring out something new, new work, new wine, a new move of his spirit, but but you can't be a rigid wineskin. The wineskins were animal skins. They had to have flex. If you had no flex spiritually, if you had no room for God doing something new, then you you were not a candidate to receive the new wine that God, because you would just blow up, you would burst, you can't contain it. But if you have flexibility, and it has nothing to do with age, but everything to do with attitude and heart condition. If you have flexibility, God can pour out and do new things in you. And so that's what he's talking about because Jesus is bringing the new covenant, the new promise. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. And he's teaching this to some folks, some Pharisees and disciples of John. He's teaching it, and they're pretty rigid. And Jesus is teaching them about flexibility. And right in the middle of his conversation... Right in the middle of this teaching moment to the John's disciples and the Pharisees, somebody comes charging in with an interruption. And Jesus has an opportunity to practice what he preaches. He starts to practice flexibility right here in the passage. And it begins like this in verse 18, and we're going to look at this in sections. It says this, while he was saying this, talking about flexibility, while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hands on her, and she will live. And Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Again, he's in in the middle of a very important teaching. He's teaching with the Pharisees are present, and John's disciples, it says in the other Gospels, the Pharisees are there as well with John's disciples, and he's speaking to them on this very important thing, and he's about to talk about that he is the Messiah, and there's a new kingdom, and God's doing a new thing, and, and if you don't have any flex, if you have the, the blinders on, if you won't let God expand, how many of you know you can't put God in a box, okay? But some people like to. They like to formulate doctrine, theology, and they, they figure out what God does, what he doesn't do, what he can't do, what he, you know, and they have it all figured out, and, and, and God's ways are higher than ours as far as the heaven is above the earth. You, you can't contain God, 
Okay, we are so finite and he's so infinite, yet some people do and the Pharisees had, and they had no room for Jesus. What he's doing didn't fit their box. And he, Jesus is talking about, you better have a little flex. If you have some flex, you're gonna get in on some beautiful things of my kingdom and things of my spirit. But if you have no flex, you're gonna miss out. So he's in the middle of this really important moment and all of a sudden, this synagogue leader comes, charges in, Jesus, Jesus, hold up, I know you're teaching, this is important, this is important, stop everything. My daughter, I need you right now. I need you right now. My daughter, she's died. I need you to hurry up and get out there and lay hands on her. So this synagogue leader, this story is also in Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel. And what we find there, his name is Jairus. And this is his only daughter. He only has one. And the girl is 12 years old. And his beautiful little girl has just passed. And so Jesus... um, says, let's go. So what's beautiful about this guy, he's a synagogue leader. And unlike the other Jews and the Pharisees that were very zealous for God, they had no flex. This guy is a Jewish leader who does have flex. He's got flex to recognize Jesus and who he is and his willingness to come to the only one who can help his daughter. And it shows this man's flexibility. And because he's flexible, he's getting in on the kingdom of God. And that's the beautiful thing. And because Jesus is flexible, he stops his teaching and he, and he goes with him. And so uh, now they're on this important mission and they need to hurry because this girl just passed. In this culture, you don't let the body stay around. Before the sun goes down, you bury the body. So the morning is starting to happen and you have to hurry up with the process. And so they are in a hurry and they're like, disciples, come on, it's time to roll. We're gonna stop the teaching, ready? Come on, here we go. So the whole crew is moving and they're moving fast only to get interrupted Again, verse 20, just then, just as they stop the teaching, come on guys, let's go, just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you, and the woman was healed at that moment. So they're rushing to this opportunity to get to this girl before the sun goes down and before everything is too late. He's going with Jairus' daughter, and I'm sure Jairus is saying, please, Jesus, we gotta hurry up. And all of a sudden, even Jairus is interrupted. Jesus, my daughter, we can't stop for this. My daughter, we gotta rush, we gotta go. And yet, this poor woman, who's got the serious issues, comes and interrupts the procession. In Mark's gospel, it says that she's been suffering for 12 years, but it elaborates. It says that she's been to many doctors. She's been going to doctors for 12 years. She spent all her money. She's broke from spending all her money on doctors, and, and she's worse now than she ever was before after going to all the doctors. That's what it says in Mark's gospel. So this poor lady is in a really bad state. She's broke, she's worse than she was, and she's absolutely desperate. And what's even worse than that, in Jewish culture, because she's bleeding all the time, according to the Jewish law, she was considered unclean, which sadly made her untouchable. She was an untouchable in this condition. Under the Jewish law, if you touched her or she touched you, you too would be unclean. 
So it's bad enough that she's got all these issues and she's broke and she's worse than before and she's really an untouchable person in society, which is a terrible thing. And then all of a sudden, um, if you touched her, you would be unclean. And I'm sure this woman said to her friends, I have to get to the Messiah. I have to get to him no matter what. Uh, and they're like, well, you, you, you can't touch him. She's like, I, I have to touch him. And I'm sure they're like, no, you, you, listen, listen, you, you, you can't actually touch him. She's like, I am going to get as close to him and I'm going to reach. I have to touch him. It's, he's my only hope. I want to just tell you something. Touching Jesus is our only hope. I don't care where you've been or what you've been through, touching Jesus and getting close to Jesus is human. That's our only hope. And this woman gets it out of her desperation and years of pursuits. I don't care what you've chased after or what you pursue, fame or fortune or philosophy or whatever it is or just religions or different spirituality. At some point, you're like, get me to Jesus because I need the answer. And Jesus has the answer. He is the only one with the answer. He is the way and the truth and the life. And he gives life. And so all of a sudden, Jesus is walking through the crowd. And it says in Mark's gospel, Mark uh, 523, it says it's a large crowd, and it says they're pressed in this procession. They're all pressed in. Have you ever walked in a crowd or concert or something? Everyone's like bumping each other. It's that kind of crowd. They're walking down. You couldn't just walk up to Jesus and high five them. They're pressed in. They're going through their wall to wall, bumper to bumper, going to Jairus' house, this big crowd. And this woman's like, maybe, maybe if I could somehow squeeze in there and touch him. And she's like, look, if I can't squeeze in and touch him, maybe I can at least get to his clothes somehow. And, and, and if I can't get to his clothes, maybe if I go down low somehow through all these people, maybe I could just get to the bottom of his, of his garment. Maybe I could just get the, the hem, the thing that hangs way down. Maybe I could get down by his ankles somehow, some kind of way. And so sure enough, this woman in this big crowd pressed in, couldn't walk up and push everybody away, is probably coming in from the side Same when Jesus passes, I'm just going to get in there down low, as low as I can, and try to reach out and grab, grab the hem of that garment. It's absolutely amazing. Let me just tell you something. Sometimes, sometimes the hem is all you need. Sometimes the hem is all you need. You get as close to Jesus as possible, and if you you can't touch him, and you you can't touch his clothes, just, just reach down and touch what you can touch. I'm telling you, this lady's life is forever changed for reaching out and getting as close as she can. And as close as she could get was the hem. And that was all that she needed. The woman was immediately healed when she reached out and touched the hem of his garment. There's something cool about the new covenant of God, the the New Testament. Unlike the old, this is something really cool. When you minister to the unclean, you don't become unclean. Isn't that cool? I don't care what somebody's been through. I don't care what they've been. I don't care if they've been into the occult. I don't care if someone's living their life as a prostitute selling their body. I don't care what drugs people are on or what they open themselves up to. You don't get unclean by ministering to them. Isn't that cool? In the old covenant, you did. In the new covenant, you don't. And that's beautiful. And so that's a profound insight, I think, to this new covenant. But I want to also encourage you, whatever you are going through, whatever you are going through, even if you've been going through it for years like this woman, even through physical, emotional, whatever it is, but whatever you've been going through, even if it's gotten worse over the years, even if it's gotten worse, I want to encourage you, get as close to Jesus as possible. That's where your healing is. 
Get as close to Jesus as possible. That's the only answer. Get as close as possible. So many people try so many things and they don't try to get close to Jesus as possible. They try everything but. And my advice would be, from experience and from scripture, get as close to Jesus as possible and you'll watch what he'll do on the next realm. If you're a note taker today, write these things down. We got a few points that are really key and um, they have to do with Jesus being interrupted and what happened in the middle of the interruption. And these are little miracles that happen in the interruption. And this is, that's the first one, is get as close to Jesus as possible and if the hem is all you can reach, grab it. That's as close as you can get, grab it. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time in his word. Spend time in prayer. Find ways to get as close. Spend time in worship and adoration. Get as close to Jesus as you can. That is important, okay? And so um, the, remember, Jesus was just interrupted by Jairus while he's teaching. And he says, Jairus, I'm gonna go with you. He suddenly steps out and he gets interrupted again a second time by, by this woman, Um, And now, um, he's gonna get interrupted again, we're gonna see in a minute. But here, write this one down too, our second point this morning is that some of our interruptions, some of our interruptions are divine appointments in disguise. Some of our interruptions are divine appointments in disguise. I'm not saying the guy that cuts you off is a divine appointment. I'm not saying God sent that guy to cut you off and roll down his window and put his hand out the window. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying God sent that guy. But some of your interruptions are divine appointments and oftentimes we don't even recognize them, we don't even discern that and we miss out on the whole story of what God's trying to show us. We miss out on the miracle, we miss out on the blessing, we miss out on the opportunity because we don't even recognize what God is trying to do. You have to realize in this story, Jesus talks about being flexible and he's got five interruptions in a row very intentionally in the scripture and we see the blessing and the miracle in all of them. And I think you and I need to start looking at interruptions and, says, and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? I believe you're sovereign. You allowed it. Whether you authored it or not, you allowed it. What's the blessing in this interruption? How do I navigate this interruption in a way that makes you smile and where you get the glory? Some of our interruptions are divine appointments in disguise. Again, oftentimes they're not recognized at the moment and we miss out, I believe, on some profound life lessons. Uh, moves on in verse 23. And it says, when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd, everyone say noisy crowd. Noisy, anybody got any neighbors, noisy crowds? Anybody got any noisy crowds? Okay, sometimes, yeah, yeah, gotta deal with that one. Um, that's an interruption, that's an interruption. Um, when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away, the girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. And news of this spread throughout all the region. So Jesus finally gets to this house. He had an interruption. He had another interruption. He finally gets there. They're in a hurry. The sun's going to go down soon. And he gets there and and he runs into this big noisy crowd uh, playing music, probably blocking the entry. It's a big thing. And Jesus is like, oh, this is... This is interrupting here. It's not really what, uh, you, guys, you guys stop. Stop, stop it. Stop the playing and, and move. And they just laugh at him. They don't even get out of the way. He's like, can you guys get out of the way? Can you stop doing this? It's, and, and they just laugh at him. And, and that's, that's, a, that's an interruption right there. And so he's asking them to go away, but they laugh at him instead. And I would just say this is an indication of the crowd. The crowd that is there, there's some people that don't understand Jesus. 
They don't understand his power. They don't understand, understand his ways. And they don't have any flexibility for what he's about to do. And there tends to be some uh, mindsets or heart conditions in the lives of people who don't understand the promises of of God and the ways of God. And I believe it's indicative of these people right here in the story. Um, Some, for example, they believe in death way too early. Some people believe in death way too early. They're done with this girl over and out, end of story. They're laughing at Jesus. They, they're, 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 yeah, yeah. They believe in death way too early. And some people in life embrace things about death too early. Death in a marriage, death in a relationship, death in a physical life, just death in a lot of ways. They believe in death way too early because they don't understand the magnitude and the power of Jesus. Some believe in death way too early. Some are playing funeral songs way before their time. They're playing funeral songs way before their time. Some forget that Jesus is on the way. Remember the man whose house it is? It's his daughter. He knows all these people. He's like, guys, my daughter's dead, but I'm going to get Jesus. And some forget that Jesus is on the way. You can't forget that Jesus is on the way. And some are mocking. This is what's ironic. They're mocking Jesus. They're mocking him, and it's about to be miraculous. And instead of having any anticipation for what God is going to do or might do or hopefully is going to do, all they can do is mock. All they can do is mock instead of look forward to the miraculous. So Jesus does this. He asked them to stop and be quiet, and they're laughing at him. And finally it says he, they put the crowd outside. Now that's a visual, isn't it? To get the crowd and actually put the crowd outside. Um, you know, speaking of crowds and interruptions, um, Christy and I had a really interesting experience. We had our, was maybe our second wedding anniversary. I don't know what it was. I think it was our anniversary. It might have been Valentine's. But she uh, found it was when Groupon just came out. She found this really cool uh, getaway, uh, overnight cabin experience in the mountain. It sounded epic. It sounded romantic. It was on Groupon. And it was way up in Mount Baldy. Um, okay, so we're going up to Mount Baldy, and Christy and I uh, get there, and we, all we have is this thing you're supposed to check in, and so we get off the freeway, and I'm running low on fuel, but I'm like, I'm sure I'm going to get there, and you just keep driving and driving, no gas station. We're driving up the mountain, no gas station, up to the mountain, and I'm literally sputtering on fumes, and I pull into the location, and it's a bar. It's a bar. It's like a biker bar up in the mountains, and I'm like, really? This is our epic vacation, Right? So I, I walk in there, and there's like mountain men and bikers in there, just knocking them back. And I'm like, hi, hi, I'm here for the Groupon. Um, you know, I'm like, so I asked the bartender, I'm like, hey, buddy, uh, we got a Groupon? This is the address? And he's ready to pour me a shot. And I'm like, no, I'm just looking for the, for the cabin, you know? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, hold on a second. And he's reaching down, fumbling around, and he, and he pulls out a key, and I'm like, so where do I go? He's like, yeah, just, just walk around the bar and go, go in the back and you're going to find it back there. It's all dark, you know? So Christy and I get there and we, we, we walk around the back and we're like looking, you, you know, using our phone for light and we, we finally find this little cabin and we, we check in there. And I got to say the condition on the inside was pretty appalling and so Groupon is not everything it's meant to be so you got to do your math and check the reviews. But all that to say is A for effort, sweetheart, for finding this deal. Um, but, but here's the deal. We, uh, we get in there, and it's, it's not what we thought it would be. It was really run down, and you could just tell uh, it'd been through a lot, this place. So we finally get to, you know, we go to bed around midnight or something like that. Around 2 o'clock in the morning, boom, 
Crash, bang, boom, music cranked up, people hitting the walls, glasses smacking together, and I'm like, no way. The bar just closed. Everyone in the bar piled out into the unit right next to ours. The entire bar emptied into our adjacent unit. The walls were like this. And I'm sitting there going, you've got to be kidding me. It was so loud. Uh, There were a bunch of drunk people in there, and I'm thinking, what are we going to do? Are we going to sit here and just try to cringe for hours through this? And I said, honey, pray for me. I'm going in. (laughs) Looking back, that probably was not very discerning at the time to walk in on a bunch of drunk people and tell them to be quiet. But, But I just realized, look, we paid for the room. It's the middle of the night. The whole bar is next door. So literally, I'm out there knocking on the store. They don't even hear me. And I'm knocking louder, and they don't hear me. And I finally, I'm pounding on the door, and a guy comes to the door, a big old, you know, drunk guy, and I'm like, hey, buddy, we're renting the one next door. It's two in the morning. He's like, oh, oh. And he realizes, he's like, hey, guys, we picked the wrong, we picked the wrong cabin. So they pile all these drunk people, that's a whole procession of loud drunk people, and they went and they found themselves another cabin. So when I, when I see this story of Jesus rolling up on a big, noisy crowd, that's where my mind went. I'm sorry, but it was an interruption for us. It was an interruption for us. And maybe you've had some interruptions with neighbors, loud noise, whatever it might be, but Jesus with this crowd, he put the crowd, he put them outside. Now, it's interesting because when we see Jesus do things in the Bible, we don't always see him put the crowd outside. And, and why is the text so clear that this crowd had to get outside? Why, why didn't he just leave them there? Why did the crowd have to go? Um, in Mark's gospel, it says everyone went out except for the mom and the dad. And I believe it's because they wanted to believe. They wanted to believe that Jesus could do this. And the only other ones in the room were Peter, James, and John. And those guys did believe that Jesus could do this. And so when we see a text scripture like this, there's something really important. It's our, it's our third point this morning because it's a, it's a take home for you too. Through interruptions, through ups and downs, when you need God's intervention, whenever it is, you need to see God's hand move in your life. So point three is this. When you need a miracle, Surround yourselves with people of faith, not critics and cynics. When you need a miracle, when you need God to break through, uh, you know, when two or more are gathered in his name, when you, you know, if any would come together and agree, and he says a lot of things in the Bible about believers coming together and agreeing and faith being a component of what God is about to do and moving the needle of God's provision. We see it through, we can't deny it, it's throughout scripture. But I just want to tell you, when you need a miracle, surround yourselves with people of faith, not critics and cynics. You don't need critics and cynics around you when you're crying out to God for breakthrough. That's not what you need. If you want to know more about that, read the story of Job, and you see God, he's engaging God, and all his friends can do is be critics and cynics the whole time of this is why you're like this, and this is what's wrong, and, this is, and they, they're not engaging God on his behalf. They don't step in on, in faith on Job's behalf at all. All they do is get critical and cynical. And, and this whole crowd around Jesus, that's what they were doing, critical and cynical. They're laughing at him about what he's about to do. And Jesus is like, you know what? Everybody out. Everybody out. Mom and dad, you believe, at least you want to believe, come inside the room. Peter, James, and John, you get this. You've seen this stuff before. You know what's going to go down. Come on in the room. And in that context, and you can read in Mark and Luke's gospel, elaborates on how this process went down in the miracle. And, and this girl, he says, come 
to life and she rises and they feed her and the family is blown away and there's this profound celebration. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, moves on in verse 27, it says this. As Jesus went from there, so he, he's teaching, gets interrupted by Jairus, follows Jairus, gets interrupted by the woman that has this issue of blood, heals her, gets there, there's this big crowd blocking everything, that's an interruption, deals with them, puts them out, heals the daughter, and now as he's leaving from there, as Jesus went from there, two blind men, two blind men, followed him calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. So Jesus had a big busy day. It's probably nearing the end of the day. He's walking down the road and they're, they're yelling from behind, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on us, you know? And these guys are following. And, and it says when, when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored and Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. Here's what's cool about this. Jesus is, it's amazing. He's going somewhere and this time, this time, the guy's yelling out on the side. He did not stop, interestingly enough. He didn't stop for that interruption. It's kind of unique in scripture. Oftentimes he does. He did not stop. He heard them yelling. He heard them calling. And he kept going where he was going. And these, these two blind men are calling out for Jesus and Jesus continues. And after Jesus goes indoors, probably somebody's house after a really long day of teaching and preaching and raising the dead and doing everything he did, he's indoors. And as Jesus is indoors, these blind men find their way to the house. Is Jesus in there? Is Jesus in there? And I bet Jesus has just got this big smile going, this is awesome. Jesus is like, look at the faith of these guys. You see, there's people who can go, oh yeah, yell out to Jesus. Maybe he'll do something for me. Give it a shot. Roll the dice. Who knows? What have we got to lose? But this is different. These blind men had to follow. Where is he? I don't know. I think he's in the fifth house. The fifth house? Where, does anybody know where he is? Where, where can I find Jesus? I think he's in the fifth house. Here's the first one. There's the second one. Do these guys believe? These guys have faith? Then he's yelling out and let's see if this works. Give it a shot. What do you think, Bill? Yeah, let's give it a shot, Tom. Okay, hey, Jesus, heal us. No, these guys are walking, counting houses. I think I found it. Jesus, you in there? And Jesus has got a big old, I guarantee an ear-to-ear grin and going, I love this faith. This is epic. This is awesome. And so it says in this passage that, that Jesus says to them, they come knocking and there's an interruption because Jesus is sitting down probably having a meal. But I think Jesus loves this interruption. I think he loves a lot of interruptions and, and this, is, this is the fourth point, guys. If you're a note taker, write this down. Sometimes Jesus wants us to do our part before he does his part. Sometimes Jesus wants us to do our part. Now, he's sovereign. He can do anything he wants without our part. We know that. However, when you look at the miracles that we've seen in the sequence here and plenty more in the New Testament, oftentimes the other person has a part in it as well. And the woman with the issue of blood reached out to Jesus in the crowd, fought her way through and touched him. And he said, woman, your faith, your faith has healed you. Your faith had a big part to do with your miracle today, ma'am. He's sovereign. He didn't have to do that. He could have just walked by and boof, you're healed. You don't even have to believe in it. Boof, he could, he could do whatever he wants. But that's not what he did. 
He found somebody seeking him who had faith, and God honors faith. He rewards faith. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so God honors faith, and faith honors God, and they're pressing through the crowd, and she presses through and says, ma'am, you did this all by faith. You fought your way through the dirt to even reach out and touch me. I know your heart. Have peace, daughter. You are healed, but your faith had a big part to do with your healing. Now this guy comes, and Jesus says, you guys believe that I can? I know you followed me by faith. You've counted houses by faith. You knocked on the door by faith. You yelled out going down the road by faith. But I want to ask you face to face. You can't see me, but you can hear me, these two guys. Do you believe that I, that I can? And they said, yes, we do believe you can. And then Jesus said, according to your faith. Everyone say, according to your faith. According to your faith, let it be done to you. Some people don't like that. Some people wish that wasn't in Scripture. Some people have a problem with our faith being part of what God does. They really do. Some people look at sovereignty. Their view of sovereignty is God's going to do what he's going to do anyway, and end of story, and they just stop engaging God, and their faith is checked out. I want to encourage you. Faith is always a part. We're saved by grace through faith. Faith is the beginning of the journey. It's the middle of the journey. It's the entire journey. It's through faith and what God says, his word and his spirit. Faith doesn't quit. Faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of the unseen, faith doesn't end. We continued by faith, and these stories are all because of someone's faith, and your faith is a big part of your story. Not the fact that you initially believe in God, that's beautiful, but it's bigger than that, it's more than that. It's the day-to-day faith in God's power, his love, his provision, his will, his ways, and this is really monumental, but sometimes Jesus... um, uh, sometimes Jesus wants us to do our part before he does his part. And you gotta know that, and we see that in scripture right here. So Jesus asked the question, do you believe? He touched their eyes and says, according to your faith, man, you guys, you said it yourselves. According to your faith, let it be done to you. And I just wanna make that stand out because there's two, this is one sequence, this story, of five interruptions in a row. And it's written intentionally by Matthew. Jesus talks about being flexible, he models it with five interruptions in a row. This is, we couldn't even break this up over the weeks because we'd miss out on the, the flow of the interruption. All this interruption happens in one sequence. It's one story. It's all in one chapter. It's one big flow. He went there, and then all of a sudden, this person interrupted, and then this person interrupted, and then this person interrupted, and two of them in the story, because of your faith, because of your faith, bam, pretty much receive your miracle because your faith has a lot to do oftentimes with what God wants to do. I would suggest if there's anything in your life that is broken, whether it's a wound in your heart, spiritually, emotionally, a relationship, a marriage, Jesus is still asking, do you believe I'm able to do this? Do you believe I'm able to do this? And some people are like, nope, it's too far. It's always been like this. Jesus, let me ask you that again. Do you believe I'm able to do this? Because you, you, you won't enter the next realm of God's provision and God's miracle. You can't unless you believe that God's able to do this. It's so, it's so important. Do you believe I'm able to do this? Here's the beauty. Everyone that Jesus touches gets restored. Everyone that touches Jesus gets restored. You seeing that in the picture here? Listen, everyone that Jesus touches gets restored. Everyone that touches Jesus gets restored. You seeing, you seeing that, what's going on here? There's power. When we touch Jesus, we touch his power. Whether we reach out to touch him or he's reaching out to touch this, there's all kinds of restoration going on in the story. So the fifth point is the last one, is that our faith, 
Our faith is a big part of our miracle, guys. Our faith is a big part of our miracle. And God's got things in your life. They might, some might be big miracles, some might be little miracles, but they're unexplainable things that have to do with God's power, his provision. You couldn't have worked it out. You couldn't have orchestrated it. It's beyond uh, happenstance. It's beyond circumstance. You know, it's not some random thing. God orchestrated something that is a miracle, large, medium, and small. He has more in your life, but our faith is a big part of our miracle. It really is. It never stops being. And I want to encourage you in that. And this is the last final interruption. In fact, this would be great if the worship team comes up. Last final interruption. While they were going out, so they heal this guy and they're going out of the house. And while they're going out, they didn't even leave. They didn't even get down the road yet. While they're going out, there's a last interruption. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been done in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. This is a powerful passage and it it kind of brings our story full circle and that's why I want to include it. It's part of his, this is where Jesus all went in one day. Be flexible, talking to Pharisees and John's disciples And he comes full circle back to the Pharisees again. Talked about being flexible, modeled it. We show all these interruptions. Here's his last interruption. And now we have Pharisees at the scene again. So I think this is very intentional, the way it was written. And uh, so they're going to the next appointment. Suddenly a man's brought to him who can't walk. So they probably bring him on a stretcher. He can't speak and he can't walk. And what's interesting about this, most of Jesus' miracles have to do, besides casting demons out of people, uh, most of the people that he runs into that have a physical ailment, it's physical in nature. Um, they even said, what sin did they do? And Jesus is like, this isn't about the sin. This is, you know, this is a physical thing. We live in a broken world, and this is the fallout from a broken world. And this side of heaven, there is still brokenness until we get there when he restores everything. And so Jesus is healing people along the way, a sign of the kingdom of God has come. And and as this is going on, this guy, uh, besides just physically healing him, Jesus says, is realizing this one is spiritual in nature. Now, very rarely is somebody in scripture, there's only a couple of, couple few times out of all the miracles where somebody's physical ailment condition was spiritual in nature. It was just, just a few, and the, the rest are all physical. This one was spiritual. So this guy, Jesus is, knows there's a demon behind this, and he casts out the demon, and then all of a sudden, this man is fully healed and restored. So this particular, is only, again, there's only a few. I wouldn't like make it, the, it's not the mainstream. It's, it's a unique situation, but this guy was fully healed and restored. But here's the thing about this. In, in Luke's gospel, it says that Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, healed this person. And Jesus, filled with the Spirit, did this. And Jesus, filled with the Spirit, did this. And Jesus is filled with the Spirit as the Messiah, healing and teaching and, and changing the world. And yet the Pharisees, the Pharisees have no flexibility at all. They can't get in on the new wine God's pouring out. They have no flex whatsoever. So since they can't flex, they also can't participate in a move of God. They can't participate in the move of God. The Bible says if you don't have flexibility, the, the wine will pour out. God doesn't pour new wine into old wineskins if they don't have flex. We said flexibility has nothing to do with age, everything to do with attitude and heart condition to what God is doing. And, and so these guys have no flexibility. 
And then they say something that is so sad. I just want to point it out briefly because this is sometimes where lack of flexibility can go. This is about as bad as it can get, but it's in the text right here. Jesus is doing everything under the power of the Holy Spirit, and yet, yet, they accuse him for doing it on the power, under the power of the devil. You, you can't get any further from truth. You can't get any further from grieving the heart of God. That, that God's spirit is, trying to, is moving through his son. God's spirit is moving through Jesus. And, and the world is changing and the kingdom is coming and, and, he's, and he's casting out, he's doing everything, he's restoring. And the critics, the cynics, who have no room for flex, who've got God figured out, they know what God does, they know what God doesn't do. They know that Jesus doesn't fit our box. We didn't endorse him. He didn't come up through our ranks. He came from, you know, Nazareth, Galilee. Nothing good comes from there. I mean, they've got it all figured out. And so for them, with no flex, they're saying what he's doing, we think it's from the devil. We think Jesus is operating under the power of the devil. And that is a pretty uh, sad statement. We have to be careful. Mark 3.29, if this topic even interests you at all, I encourage you to go to Mark 3.29 and read this story, this part of the story in higher definition. But what it says, this is the exact accusation in the exact setting with the exact set of people in Mark um, 329. And Jesus says this, when they, accuse, when they accuse Jesus of functioning under the power of the devil, when in reality he's functioning under the power of the Holy Spirit, this is what Jesus says in this text. He says, people can be forgiven for all their sins and every slander. Any sin you and I have ever created, said, Every slander we've ever done, it's all forgivable. But Jesus says, but they can't be forgiven for blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, people have talked about, what exactly does that mean? And I've heard a lot of explanations of people trying to say what that means, but read the text and you'll see what it means. Jesus is under the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're blaming him. They're blaming that power on hell. Does that make sense? That's, That's about as off as you can get. The Spirit of God is moving and they're blaming it on hell. And, and Jesus is like, be careful how you critique a move of God. Be careful how you critique a move of the Holy Spirit. There have been men, many movements over the 2,000 years of Christianity, whereas the Spirit of God begins doing a new work and pouring out new wine into new wineskins, never changing the gospel. The gospel's unchangeable, guys. The word of God is without error, and it will live forever, and it won't return void, okay? The scripture doesn't change, but the methods and the way the Spirit moved has always been morphing in new ways and new directions, and we looked at some of the movements last week, the Wesleyan movement and the, the Jesus movement and all these different movements, all of them did not fit a mold. And some people stood back and critiqued and were cynical and pointed pictures, pointed fingers. We just gotta be very careful about that because these Pharisees are doing the same thing. They're saying, that's from the devil right there. Jesus is like, guys, you don't wanna do that. It's one thing if you're not sure. That's okay, that's understandable. It's one thing if you're checking out something, you're like, yeah, I'm trying to see if that God's in that. That's one thing, that's good. Use discernment, test everything, scripture says. That's a good thing. But we gotta be very careful to not demonize something, amen? Be very, be very, I, mean, I say this sincerely, but it's important. Be very careful not to demonize something if you don't know. If the spirit of God is behind it, which people missed out on a lot of the movements, they didn't recognize it. It's okay if you don't know. It's okay if you're not sure. It's okay if you step back, you pray about it, you search all things, you test, that's, that's beautiful. We've got to be very careful not to demonize it. 
Because what happens when half the body of Christ starts demonizing the other half of the body of Christ? A house divided doesn't stand, amen? That's a work of the devil in itself, okay? So if you don't know, just pray, ask God to discern. If you don't, that, that's okay, just we're going to see what you're going to do here. But we've got to be careful not to do it because that's exactly what the Pharisees, they know everything about God. They know what God does, what he doesn't do. They're convinced of everything. Jesus, it's not you and what you're doing is from hell. And Jesus is like, guys, you're going so far right now. You're, you're about to go off the edge right now. You're, you're, you can't blame a, a move of the spirit on. So I, I want to bring that up because this is this last interruption. And this is the way Jesus started his day with the Pharisees and John's disciples, and he ends it with them. And that's, that's important because they have no flex, and we want to have flex. We also want to have flex, guys, in our interruptions. So my prayer for you is that you will, the next interruptions you have, you will look at them differently, and you'll say, yep, it's an interruption. God, what's my place in this interruption? What are you doing in this interruption? What is, the, what is the inspiration? Instead of the irritation, I know the irritation, I'm trying to get somewhere, I get the irritation, but God, what's the inspiration in this? And I just highly encourage you that if you get with God, like Jesus, there will be beautiful things through the whole process of your interruptions. They don't have to be, they don't have to just get you bent out of shape and get mad and get frustrated. Oftentimes, God wants to do something profound in your, in your interruption. So I just wanna, I wanna close in prayer and ask that God would seal some of these things in our heart, but we would be forever changed when it comes to our interruptions that would be open to what the Spirit of God is doing. Jesus, how can I be like, more like you in the middle of this interruption? What do you want me to do with this interruption? How can I fully embrace it in a way that makes you smile and gives you glory? And, and that would be profound, and we would be changed people for it. So, uh, mighty God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it. And we just ask, God, that uh, this, this reality of interruptions that seems to come up in our lives in many different forms and fashions, God, um, your word says that when we walk with you, when we're close to you, uh, that we'll have the fruit of the Spirit, and patience is one of them. And you want us to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, long-suffering. You, you, these things can come out of us if we're walking close to you, Jesus. These fruits of the Spirit can come out of us. And Lord, so I pray when these interruptions come up that we're in a different zone, that we're in a different place, that we see how you navigated interruption and you didn't walk around them, you actually stepped into them. You realized that God was good, that there was a capacity to do something being filled with the spirit that you can navigate them different and you could be used, Jesus, to change things. And I pray, Lord, that all of us would walk as light and walk as salt. When an interruption comes, we would walk into it fully, Lord. We would embrace what you're doing in the moment. And Lord, you would use us in completely different ways. This Christmas season, there's gonna be interruptions. There's gonna be interruptions today, this week, throughout the month. Interruptions are not gonna stop. But I just pray that we would walk as sons and daughters that said, Jesus, you embrace the interruption and we're gonna look for your inspiration in the interruption, God. I just pray we would look at them completely different, that you would shape us today, you would change us today, you would form us today, you would mold us today, conform us into your image today, God. That's our prayer, Lord, and we ask these things in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen, amen, guys. Let's give the Lord a hand clap because he's good all the time. Amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.